we are joined today. We're going to have uh, Ant Wilson from the Harcourt Farmers Co-op. Well, beginning off, Ant Wilson, are you there, Ant? I am there. How are you going, <laughs> Excellent. Buddy? Good to hear that you're there. It's <laughs> always a great sign. Welcome to the show. Can you describe to us where you're sitting right now? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm sitting actually on my tractor. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was a perfect question. I'm sitting on my tractor at the top of my orchard. Um, the farm shop is just open, so we've got uh, the occasional car just popping in to pick up a pre-order of milk or veggies or fruit. And, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful sort of autumn day. I'm just looking out over Harcourt Valley. It's lovely, actually. Yeah, fantastic. So where is the Harcourt Valley? Um, it is in central Victoria, just about an hour and a half northwestish of Melbourne, sort of half an hour south of Bendigo. Yeah, right. Next to, yeah. Next to Castlemaine, yeah. Ah, Castlemaine Way, beautiful, beautiful. It's a nice country out there. It uh, is, yes, and Harcourt's one of the one of the areas in um, Mount Alexander Shire with, with a bit of soil, so, <laughs> so we're lucky here uh, <laughs> at the co-op. Um, nice, yeah, well, nice. Yeah, what rocks have you got there? Uh, granite, lots of granitic sand. Granite, you yeah, lucky and lots bastard. of big granite boulders. <laughs> Just granite. Yeah, ah, well, that's good, that's good. That'll help you grow stuff a bit better. Um, certainly better than you would around here in our beautiful shale. The Harcourt Organic Farming Co-op. Can you um, explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so we are a collection of farmers so there's a micro dairy a market garden a fruit orchard um, a fruit tree nursery and then an online fruit growing uh, education business oh, yeah. uh, and so we all come together to form the co-op mm. um, yeah we, we're about two years old now so we're still we still sort of feel like we're in the baby steps um, but uh, yeah there's, there's great potential here and We'll sort of slowly build and, and over time, and yeah, one of our sort of goals is to grow our potential. So there's, there's plenty of space for that. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so is fun. it? Um, I know there's, there's a bunch of different types of co-op. Is it like a workers' co-op? Ooh, that's a good question. Who owns okay. the co-op? That's another way to put it. Well, we own it. Yeah, yeah. So we're all on the on the board, I guess you would call it. We've, we've all got sort of executive positions mm-hmm. um yeah so when so each business when we sell produce we we pay a sort of a levy to the co-op but the co-op is us so that kind of goes back to us anyway <laughs> yeah cool so the members are the people who are doing all the work on the farm yes yeah, yeah we don't have any shareholders yep yep and does the does the co-op own the land uh no the co-op doesn't own the land the co-op is uh, the land is owned by uh, one of the members of the co-op, you and Katie. Um, mm-hmm. So they're the ones that sort of initiated the whole process. Um, they were wanting to retire from the, the physical side of farming. They were running the orchard here, which is the, the part of the co-op that I took over. Uh, but they didn't particularly want to leave the land and, and they didn't want to chop down all the trees. They'd spent 20 years running it organically and building soil and that sort of thing so they decided to try to sell this cop and try to you know kill a couple of birds with one stone and provide an opportunity for emerging farmers to access land and um 
provide a way for them to stay on the property while still seeing it be productive. So yeah. what, what would their alternatives have been to setting up the co-op? That's probably a question for them, but, mm-hmm. um, I mean, potentially sell the property. I don't know, you know, possibly subdivide. I don't know if they ever would have thought of that, but um, they likely would have had to, to remove all of the orchard. They had about maybe five or so, five or six hectares of orchard. Wow. Yeah, So and that was all mostly established. So that would have been sad to see that all go. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a bit heartbreaking after spending 20 years building it all. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I often think with, with land that's been organically farmed and the soil's all built up in the soil like that, that is there actually a big carbon release when the land is sold and it goes into horse paddocks or something? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on how it's managed, really. Mm, yeah, mm. absolutely. There's definitely potential for that. Yeah. That was, I think, one of the things, you know, they thought, oh, we've spent a lot of time working on this soil and trying to improve it. And, um, yeah, it'd be a shame if it was sold and, and then not managed yeah. for that exact reason. Yeah. <laughs> so how much land is there? You've got five hectares of orchard. What else is around? Um, we, we did actually end up removing some trees, so I've got only four hectares now. But um, the whole property is 75 acres, which is, what, 20 20-something hectares, 24 mm-hmm. hectares or something. Most of that is grazing land for Tess and her micro-dairy. The vegetable garden, the market garden, is half an acre, and they're just expanding. So I think they're... Ex- or maybe it was a quarter of an acre, and they're expanding to half an acre. So, mm-hmm. And then, that you know, the fruit tree nursery is really small. It's probably a quarter of an acre. Um so were you guys all actually farming before you came into the uh, co-op? Yes and no. The vegetable gardeners were here already. Um, they were here for maybe two years, maybe three years before um, we set up the co-op. Tess, who is the micro-dairy, she wasn't farming anywhere, but she was sort of well on track to, to make it happen somewhere. She, she had a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was... Not farming. I had been travelling for two years or so and working on other small-scale sort of regenerative farms and just because I don't have any uh, background in farming. I was kind of trying to toss it out and learn as much as I could and see what I wanted to do. And then uh, I found this opportunity. So I was the one that sort of came in and took over an established existing farm, which is the orchard. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that would have been sort of handy, I guess. It was, yeah, I was pretty lucky, yeah. Did that come about? Were you on the woofing scheme? Or? Uh, I wasn't, but I was doing that sort of thing sort of unofficially, yeah, at a whole bunch of different farms, mostly in this area, actually. Yeah. And I think I found out about it just through the small farmer network, really. Yeah, it's amazing how connected everybody is these days, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and there's a few sort of really strong networks of, of like-minded small-scale farmers, so... How do all the enterprises sort of fit together on the site? How do they relate to each other? That's a constantly evolving beast, I guess. Well, we're all sort of situated, we're all kind of mixed in together. There's sort of three separate vegetable patches and there's four separate orchard patches and then Tess kind of fills in the space with her cows and we're constantly trying to work out ways that we can work together. Tess and I just had a meeting yesterday and about how she can graze her cows through the orchard in winter. 
I'm doing some experimenting with cropping in the interrows to grow, you know, more feed for for cows. Oh yeah. Um, or, or poultry. We're we're always trying to work out, you know, off farm. We're trying to work out how we can share sales channels and share deliveries to people and things like that. So there's kind of no end to the potential ways we can fit together. And have you found that sort of working together between the different enterprises to be really advantageous so far? Yeah, a bit of both. There's kind of a balance. Uh, It's kind of hard to work out, you know, because we all run such different enterprises and and farming businesses and there's so many moving factors, it's hard to work out the best way to fit them together, which which is a really good challenge to have. (laughs) Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just a balance of of what's the benefit and and how much energy is it going to take, you know. So, orchard and they do a bit of damage here and there, but um, for the, for the benefit that they're having on the land is worth the odd broken limb on a tree or you know, the odd busted pipe or something like that. So, yeah, I guess they'll be cow pruned in the end, won't they? Yeah, yeah, we can definitely only do it in the winter. Otherwise, they'll really do some <laughs> Yeah, they'll start fermenting. Um, yeah. What about the the uh, enterprises that aren't really related to the actual site? How do they fit in? Um, so, yeah, we've just got the one, which is the online fruit-growing business. Um, uh, sorry, online education business. Um and yeah, that's a good question. It kind of, it's, we've kind of got three different levels of membership to the co-op and we've, so we've, that's how we kind of split up the business expenses and stuff like that and they kind of sit on a slightly outer edge because they're so different to everyone else. You know, it's completely online so there's a lot of costs that we have that, that aren't related to them. And hmm. um, But that business is, half Katie and half Sass. So Katie's one of the owners of the property and Sass also works in the nursery, in the fruit tree nursery. So they're here and on the property every day, mm. uh, almost. I see. Um, so an individual yeah. could come into the farm and work in more than one enterprise. Yeah, potentially, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so that's mm. already happening. Yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, and we are, for anyone listening, we are potentially looking for uh, additional enterprises. So if anyone has a really great idea... <laughs> and wants to, you know, come and pitch that to us, then we are open to that. Yeah, nice one. Especially poultry as well. We'd really like someone to run poultry. Uh, (laughs) Well, that shouldn't be too hard. There's there's plenty of poultry nuts about the place. Uh, Have you recruited any any new people to the co-op before, or are you just still with the founding people? No, we're still with the founding people. Um, We were sort of really looking for people towards the beginning, and then we all just got so busy, <laughs> you know, trying to, trying to make a co-op happen that yep. it kind of, you know, fell by the wayside a little bit, but um, we might be starting to pick up that search again. Well, hopefully we can get the word out for you there. Um, yeah. So you, you mentioned there's sort of three levels of, of membership. Can you run through those for us? Um, it's, more, it's more just about the sort of finances of things and how we work out how we share costs and all that kind of thing, because mm-hmm. um, that's Obviously, one of the benefits of, of forming a co-op is that we can share expenses and make things more viable, make each business more viable. Um, but working that out was a nightmare, you know, because, like I said, we're all such different businesses. Um, that there's, there's some costs that are shared sort of 
proportionally amongst amongst each business, you know, as a, as a percentage of how much you use that thing or that service. Mm, how much of the fence post do you use? Yeah, right, exactly. And then there's <laughs> some things that are split evenly amongst everyone and there's some things that only involve the farmers and not the online business. So we had to come up with a very complex spreadsheet to, to work all that out. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But that did the trick? We think so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we're, like I said, still baby steps. We're, we're kind of, this is the first year where we're doing that. So we've got this sort of levy that we all pay or that, that certain members pay and then two other sort of membership fees that cover those different expenses. And once the year's over, we'll be able to have a look back at it all and see what worked and see what didn't and, you know, readjust. <laughs> so I guess you've got the, the enterprise that's not really collect, connected to the site who wouldn't really need to contribute to the, a lot of the site costs, but probably right. would on the website and a few other things like that. Yeah, exactly, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. and then you might have some really infrastructure-heavy enterprises and, and yep. others that aren't. How do you deal with it when somebody's not happy, You're saying, oh, I don't use that fence post at all, I don't want to pay for that? Yeah, that's a, another really good question. That's one of the challenges is, is, you know, clear communication and maintaining good relationships. And we have regular meetings, um, to talk about all the, you know, all the tough stuff as well as all the good stuff as well. Um, yeah, we just talk about it. Really, we're kind of just case by case. Whatever comes up, we just try to tackle it and work out what's there among the group. I mean, you're all going to be flat out with your various enterprises. So how how do you bump into each other to have that conversation? Do you hang out and there's a party in the evening or? Uh, it's a little bit like herding cats at times, <laughs> you know, trying to get us all, because we're all so busy, trying to get us all in one spot for two hours is a bit of a challenge. But what uh, we've tried to do is just have a regular time slot that's once every, you know, six weeks or something like that. And so we just have that in our calendar. We have a, you know, a, a list on a shared communication app that we all just chuck stuff on when we think about it. And when we get to that meeting, we nut everything out. And we, we've also done a few workshops on holistic decision-making and that kind of thing to try to work out, a, have a really good process around making decisions. Um, and we, we haven't fully worked that out yet, but we're definitely on our way. I think that's probably a challenge with communities all over the place of all different kinds, <laughs> you know, maintaining proper decision-making systems and communication. I think you're spot on there. Yeah. We came up with this big spider diagram that's got all of our shared values put down in words and ways that we can sort of assess whether that's happening or not. And we're, we're yet to really apply that to, to decisions, but that's where that's sort of headed. Nice. So what are, the, uh, what are the chief shared values that you've come up with? Well, I can read you our... I've got it right in front of me. Ooh, I can read beautiful. you our sort of centre... <coughs> our sort of mission statement for You've got it, uh, sort of thing. taped to the dashboard of the tractor, do you? So just to remind you. <laughs> Actually, I've got my computer on the tractor. So. <laughs> <laughs> got tractor yeah. cam. Yeah. <laughs> it says, the Hark Organic Farming Co-op is a group of farmers working together to regenerate our farm, feed our community, grow our potential and radically change the food system. So yeah, that's our nice. sort of shared goal. And then kind of around that, we, we have different... I won't go through them all because they're pretty detailed, but there's sort of uh, regenerative farming practice, practices, there's uh, growing the growers, there's engaging the community, there's personal growth, growth um, 
business viability and that kind of thing. Celebration, trust and camaraderie. I guess you've you've got this little little group of people on site, and what happens if somebody's got a big job that they need more than their own pair of hands to do? We can call on each other for help, and we do often. However, we are also busy with our own things. <laughs> that myself and Market Garden have various volunteers that come at times that that we sort of give give them fruit or vegetables or, or something for their time, and. I don't know if the dairy has any regular volunteers at the moment, but she has she is training up of what they are, an employee. But yeah, I I call on Katie and Hugh quite often, who are the owners of the property and of the online education business, and the ex owners of the orchard, to help me out all the time. There is actually things I can't do by myself, like putting out bird nets and stuff like that. Yeah, you'd need a little team, yeah. I imagine. I yeah, I do. I've got attachment that sits in the back of the tractor and I need a couple of people to put it out. So that's another reason why I've been very lucky because they've consistently offered their, their support. They've been very generous with their time. So. so what's the relationship between the co-op and the landlord? Does the, I guess, yeah, do, does the enterprises all own the co-op and the co-op rents the land or? Uh, well, the landowner is part of the co-op as well, but they own part of the co-op as well. Mm-hmm. At the moment, each individual business has a separate lease with the landowners. Okay. Yeah, so it kind of sits outside the co-op, really. But but in that lease, it says that uh, the lessee has to be part of the co-op. Ah, I see. Yeah, and so there's you know there's potential in the future for that to change. You know, for co-op to sort of hold the leases or something like that. Or, but that's how it is for now. Yeah. I guess when you've got a, a nice friendly landlord, yeah, you're, you're set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. We're we're very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So, does the co-op have plans? Maybe I mean, people only have a limited lifespan, and hopefully, the co-op will go for a long time. Mm-hmm. But what are you thinking? Will the the co-op eventually buy the land? Again, that's one possibility. Don't know yet. We haven't really crossed that bridge, but that's certainly a possibility. Do you do things like common accounting and bookkeeping as well as the marketing? Yeah. So that's what we've started this year that's kind of the stuff I was talking about with the different memberships and expenses and that kind of thing we hired a bookkeeper this year to do our accounting for us so we actually all sell we sell all our produce to the co-op and the co-op on sells it essentially so all of it, all of our sales goes into one bank account and then our accountant our bookkeeper sort of takes care of that and gives it all up and pays it back to us and so we're just sort of testing that system this year with you know, to see how it goes and then we'll, we'll assess it and, and adjust it as we need to. So how, uh, what are the ways that you produce once you've managed to grow the damn stuff? How does it get out to the, uh, the, the eaters? Oh, we've got all different, we've got our fingers in many, many pies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, um, all three of us have some variation of a community supported agriculture program. Well, when I say three, I mean the, the veggie garden, the dairy and the orchard. So that's a sort of subscription model where, where people commit to a, a, a sort of a, a season's worth of produce, whatever that may be. We also all do farmer's market. We have a farm shop that's seasonal, only runs for maybe eight weeks or so. We do a little bit of online ad hoc sales. I do a little bit of wholesale if I've got enough. 
I do a little bit of pick your own as well. Oh yeah, yeah. And then the fruit tree nursery is a little bit smaller, and they so they you know that's very seasonal. They've only got two days, two or three days where people will just come and pick up. So they do online orders, and people come and pick them up from the farm. Yeah, it's pretty diverse, which is why a lot of our bookkeeping is a bit of a yeah, of a starting, starting to get complex there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and have you have you actually found the bookkeepers enjoying it, or are they pulling their hair out? Um, that's a good question for her as to how much she's enjoying it, but she's doing a very good job. Yeah, great. Because I can imagine as a bookkeeper, things are going to be a bit same-ish, mostly. Yeah. So maybe having a nice different project where you've got to use your brain and creativity might be a nice change. Yeah, well, we hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope that she's enjoying it. She's certainly very helpful. So. Yeah, great. Fantastic. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Farmers Markets are in CSA, which is the subscription model. Is there our two main sales models, really? Well, channels mm-hmm. um yeah this year was the first year as well that we all were doing sort of a co-farmers market stall as uh, well the harcourt stall <laughs> yeah exactly the harcourt organic farmers top stall and that's been a bit of a challenge as well just kind of having three in one and we've been liaising with the victorian farmers markets association because we want to be accredited with them and we, we do accredited farmers markets and they have rules around the stalls have to be the producers of the food and that you can't be resellers. So technically the co-op is reselling the produce, uh, you know, but it's actually us. So, so <laughs> yeah, so that's been a bit of a... Bit of a trick. Um, a bit of liaising as well, yeah. But it's, it's really great. They've been really supportive and, you know, they can see what we're trying to do. And, yeah, we're hoping that we can sort of forge the path and then it's replicable by other people as well. So could you go a little bit deeper into the CSA model, the Community Supported Agriculture? Do you know the origins of that one? Uh, yeah, I think it originated in Japan in maybe the late 60s, early 70s, and then it was popularised in the US and has been around in Australia for a while, but probably more popular in the last sort of five or six years. So CSA is kind of like a box scheme where you get a certain amount of produce at a regular interval, Um and there's many different iterations of CSA and different ways you can do it. Um, but there's three sort of main things that separate CSA from ad hoc sales of, mm-hmm. of box produce. And that's that, um, A, you have it's a direct relationship between the farmer and the eater. So there's no sort of aggregator who's pulling produce and then sort of reselling it. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is that there is time commitment. So as I said earlier, you're sort of committing to a season, whatever that may be. For me, that you know, November to April uh, for test our dairy. It's one month or three months or potentially longer in the future. And then the third thing is that there's an element of risk sharing. So you're not buying a certain quantity. Uh, you're sort of you're buying a share of what the farm produces. So in that way, you're kind of sharing in abundance and, adver- in, and adversity as well. So you can spread that risk around and so that if there's a, you know, a really bad year for some reason that's out of the control of the farmer, that risk can be spread across the community and the farm can bounce back. Mm, yeah, well, I guess otherwise you lose your farmer and all of the knowledge and all of the infrastructure yeah. and everything, don't you? And there goes your food supply. Exactly, yeah. Um, you know, I, I consider food to be an existential necessity, so I think it's <laughs> fair that, that we create economies that spread the, the risk of its production across the community. Yeah, but, totally, uh, totally. Yeah, and I'm super grateful for the people that 
have signed up to my CSA. They're all very supportive. And, you know, when, when things go wrong with the fruit and I have to send them some seconds or a smaller quantity or they don't get a delivery that week or something, they're all very understanding and happy just to sort of go with the flow and get extra when I have it. Yeah, great. Sounds like yeah. you've got them well trained. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. Yeah, and what are, the, what are the sort of communications and community sort of aspects of a CSA? Well, like I said, there's so many iterations of CSA. There's some that have the CSA members come and pick food or, or pack their own boxes. There's kind of no end to how you can do it. I, I do have a few members that come and work on the farm in exchange for their share of fruit. Mm. Um, so that's, that's a fun thing. There's, you know, there's some that have a big celebration once a year and have all the members come onto the farm for you know, a big party. I, I did that last year, but for obvious reasons, I didn't do it this year, <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit disappointing, but I'm sure we'll get back to it. Yeah, there's some that, that open their books and go through all of their finances with the members and sort of say, you know, this is why you're paying what you're paying and this is the cost and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. No. Love alternative economy. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a really good way to get your food. Has yeah. the um, Has the COVID uh, thing... The, the plague, has that affected uh, the way that you've had to sell things? Certainly, yeah. It's definitely affected sort of both of those things, the farmer's markets and the CSA. Just that we've had to be extra careful and, you know, put in additional sort of precautionary measures in terms of how we run the farmer's market. So we don't mm. let people touch produce anymore and uh, we sort of have a bit of a barrier so they can't come too close to the produce and that kind of stuff. Um, so mostly minor stuff. I mean, it, it maybe it's affected sales a little bit in, because we're moving a lot lower at the farmers market, just trying to be careful and, and that kind of thing. But it's mostly only affected us in, in sort of minor ways. Really, we're already kind of isolated up here on our farm anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. One of the things you've got going there is, is feeding people. Which people are you feeding? Are you selling down to Melbourne or anything like that, or are you just going local? Um, I sell fruit into the Melbourne market. Um, so I do a regular, well, I was doing a regular farmer's market in Coburg, uh, which is in the north of Melbourne. Um, but I had less produce this year, so I pulled out of that early. But half of my CSA members are on the sort of northern side of Melbourne and the other half are around this area, um, whereas the dairy and the market garden have less, smaller quantities of produce and so they're only selling locally Yeah. Yeah, right. And yeah. Is, there, is there any sort of hierarchy that you've got between all those different sort of um, uh, methods of distributing your food? Yes, and that probably differs slightly between each enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, mine, the farmers, well, the CSA is number one because those CSA members of most of them have paid in advance for the whole season, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, I reward that commitment to with them being the priority um, market. And then the farmers' market is second, uh, and then you know after that comes well, the farm shop kind of fits in somewhere in there, but. <laughs> After that comes, you know, the wholesale kind of last and uh, any sort of sending to retailers or anything like that, I only do very rarely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're, we're more focused on feeding the local community directly. That's kind of the the aim, really. 
Yeah, and I do consider the, the north side of Melbourne local. It's not, not not too far away. How long do you have to drive to get into there? Uh, an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, right. Probably half an hour of that stuck in traffic. Oh, no, because usually it's 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm driving down there. So. Oh, OK. <laughs> well, that does make a difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, and, you know, there's no orchards in Melbourne, so we're, we're pretty close in terms of what organic fruit there is available to the city. I mean, having said that, if I didn't have enough, I'd certainly only sell it locally here. Um, but, yeah, if I've got the quantity, I'll move some down to Melbourne for sure. So you're talking about changing the food system as well as one of your one of your values. Um, you know, and just have a little bit of a rant on that. Yeah, well, I mean that that's kind of all the stuff we've been talking about, really. You know, we're we're passionate here about food sovereignty, mm-hmm. um, and so CSA and farmers markets, uh, you know, and co-ops, all those kinds of things, they all play into that. Um, so we want to see. Uh, a resilient localised food system uh, and, and now is such a great time to to see the benefits of that and, and the, the ills of the industrial model mm-hmm. um, you know we've seen bare shells on the supermarkets and, and that kind of thing whereas our farmers market is, has been super flexible and has just changed every time there's been a new precaution come out because of this COVID-19 the farmers market just been really quick to adapt and change and, and that's the kind of food system we want to build yeah yeah i guess I, I always think when i'm thinking about this of how the our domesticated plants have changed as a result of the introduction of machinery yeah right yeah, yeah. where once the the older varieties are bred to to bear over a long period of time but the new ones all have to have their fruit on them at once, say with a soybean plant or with a uh, bean or pea or you name it, so that when the mechanical harvester comes along, they're all ripe at the same time. Yeah, it's just a right. one-off harvest. Yeah. Oh, wow. So okay. things, things change really fundamentally with the with the technology that you use. Yeah, there's lots of things like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's yeah. heaps. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we're, um, we want to see sort of well, we're working towards and being part of a um, participatory food system, you know, one that that has food that's produced and distributed in ethical and ecologically sound ways. And the soil, regenerating the soil, this is always a big one, always mm. a big one. What's so good about soil? What's so good about soil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> farmers are always ranting about it. Everything, we love it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's the importance of soil? So. Well, oh, that's such a big question. Soil is the source of life. That's, you know, soil's a universe of its own. A healthy soil means healthy people, really. It means healthy produce, it means healthy people. The soil is what stores the carbon that we have too much of in our atmosphere. You know, that's a really pertinent one right now, and, and nitrogen as well, another massive greenhouse gas. Management of the soil is the one double-edged sword we have in terms of fighting climate change. You know, we, if properly managed soil, can it will not only stop being one of the biggest emitters if it's managed properly, but it will also draw in those greenhouse gases and put it back where it belongs in the soil. And I've heard yeah. people say that plantations and carbon sequestration into wood and biomass that way might not be after the last 
fire season necessarily a really permanent way of doing it so yeah right i guess you don't hear about the soil catching fire too often no yeah healthy soil means that there's a universe of microorganisms and and you know bacteria and fungus that are all coexisting in this beautiful synchronized way and that means that it has a good structure that it holds water as well it can you know and then the healthier the soil is the healthier the plants are if you're then managing what's growing in that soil like i said you can sort of cycle nutrients and uh bring them down out of the atmosphere and put them into the soil and yeah it's just beautiful i wrote a whole uh, a blog post on it recently and got really excited about it but then realized that you know, maybe not everyone's that interested in soil. <laughs> oh, that's only because I haven't read your blog post yet. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, you've got to learn about something before you can get too interested in it, really, I reckon. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. The uh, Have you heard of the Lus Plateau up in China? It's sort have of, I? No. Yeah, it's I like the Fertile Crescent of China. It's where agriculture started and everything. The same thing happened. It got totally overgrazed and depleted and it was just left with a whole bunch of goat farmers subsisting on it and there was this massive erosion valley and it, it was what made the Yellow River yellow. Yeah, right. But a couple of decades ago, they, they got onto it and they sent in a bunch of scientists and, and, and imaginative people, I guess, and they consulted with the community and they wound up banning a whole lot of the agriculture that was going there but they didn't mm. just leave everyone there they actually hired them to do all this terraforming and terracing and water management works and now it's one of the back to being one of the most um, productive places on, in, in the uh, in the country oh wow that's amazing and they've found that the rivers have started flowing again in the creeks and, and, and things like that so. yeah well you know rehydrating the landscape but like I said before you know, if you're holding more water in the soil then it can move through the land lower, and so when there's a big rain event, it's held in the land, and it and it sort of seeps out slowly, and the rivers run, as opposed to just washing away and taking the topsoil with it. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's the difference between the the swamp and your concrete creek in the city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can do amazing things with with really good. Uh, sort of farming practices, really. You can do such great things with grazing animals, especially in terms of sequestering carbon. If mm-hmm. it's done properly, it's just amazing. Yeah, and all this life in the soil, what does it do to the the, um, the nutrients that are available? Well, that's a big question. Um, and just, just a disclaimer as well, I've only been working on this farm for three years <laughs> and I don't have a background in, in soil science or farming at all. So, That's all right. We'll let you have an opinion anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's a look kind of ant. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, you know, a healthy soil that has active bacteria and lots of microorganisms and fungi, it, it's going to essentially provide its own nutrients in lots of different ways. Uh, for example, when you graze uh, a grass or a sedge uh, if, if, when an animal grazes that it releases a whole bunch of sugar into the soil which then attracts a whole bunch of bacteria which then pull nitrogen down into the soil which then cause, you know, are the food for that plant to grow again 
Mm. You know, uh, another example is that that fungi fungi in the soil will respond to uh, sort of signals, I guess, like pheromones or something. I'm not sure of the scientific word or the way it exactly Stuff. works, but yeah. it'll essentially selectively mine nutrients from the soil from different places and bring that back to a plant, <laughs> uh, which is just amazing. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Nah, fungi's just an amazing thing. So you are looking at getting some, some new folks onto the farm. What, what are the sort of things that they might think of to, that would be, be good, to, uh, good to do around there? Um, there? It could be anything, you know. We, we did do a brainstorming session a little while ago um, and we came up with probably 25 ideas. But um, like I said, poultry is definitely one thing we'd really like to have. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be honey. It could be berries. It could be um, maybe not pigs. We probably don't have enough land mm-hmm. for that. Um, it could be compost. It could be flowers. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it could be something that exists by itself, or it could be something like poultry that could really fit in with all the other enterprises and uh, sort of not need its own specific base. You know, we can start layering different enterprises on top. Yeah, right. Yeah, so how about things like um, on-site training and workshops and that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. We'd be yeah. open to, to that kind of thing. We we do, at the moment, uh, occasional tours for, for permaculture groups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, in the past, I've done pruning workshops with Katie and Hugh, who used to run the orchard. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not really doing many workshops at the moment. Nah, nah, nah um, not now, but hopefully it won't last forever. Yeah, we'd, you know, we'd love to sort of spread this model, so in yeah. the future maybe we can be doing workshops around how to build a successful co-op. I was going to ask that next, excellent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's one of our shared values, is you know, grow the growers, so yeah. we do want to do that, but we all just want to make sure it works first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be worth doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. So, um, yeah, what do you reckon people would be like who, who would who you'd want to see join the co-op? What would be some of their uh, some of their strengths? Ooh, that's a tough question to answer. I don't know. We we have a no dickheads policy. That's definitely at yeah, the top of the list. That's a good so, one. <laughs> yep. Um, really. When if people are interested, we kind of just need to get to know them and see if they get along with the group. You know, see if they sort of fit in with us. But I suppose we're looking for people that know how to communicate really well, who share the same regenerative farming practice sort of ideals, um, who are passionate about food sovereignty and and have all those values that I mentioned before. Yeah. yeah, someone that's social and um, someone that's got a bit of uh, business knowledge and knows how to run a, a viable business. Yeah, that's definitely part of it as well. Yep. Yeah, cool. So, what, what were sort of the, some of the inspirations that you, you you drew on to to build the model? Um, to sort of create the co-op, do you mean? I oh, do. Yes. Um. 
in terms of like our shared values? Is that um, no, in the, in the sort of the nuts and bolts. Like I know that um, over in the states, you've got Joel Salatin doing something pretty similar with the enterprise stacking sort of stuff you're doing there, and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of all of that stuff really. Um, but I think we're kind of quite unique now. Possibly in the past, there was a lot of examples of things like this, but maybe they've sort of all disappeared over time as the industrial model took over and I think most existing co-ops are either they're all sort of the same enterprises you might have to milk the dairy co-op or the apple growers co-op things like that so mm-hmm. I think ours is quite unique and that presented a few challenges in, in setting it up uh, in that we have such different such diversity here so yeah it was, it was hard to find existing examples of this, at least in Australia anyway. And what's the difference? I mean, you can look at something overseas and go, that's cool, I want to do it here. And Mm -hmm. did you find any, what were the barriers to just grabbing something from somewhere else and transplanting it here? I don't know how to answer that. That's a good question. I guess it's harder to make a phone call and (laughs) talk to someone or go and visit a property or something if it's overseas. You know, it's a bit harder if it's by email or sort of and, you know, also different regulations and that kind of thing mm-hmm. makes it a bit harder to just sort of cut and copy something from overseas. We're hoping to start something similar up around here. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, if anyone's keen on that, they can uh, email info at cocambra.org.au. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Ant, before uh, we wind up? I just have a quick question about that. Is that anything to do with with Canberra City Farm? It will be a regional sort of thing. So, yes, oh, cool. yes, we're, we're hoping that uh, Canberra City Farm and Southern Harvest and yeah. a bunch of individuals, a bunch of farmers, you name it, just anyone who's got anything to do with the food system will be able to turf into this. And, Excellent. Yeah. Sounds exciting. Well, we'll see, we'll see. We'll, uh-huh. we'll need a few volunteers first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first farm that I ever... Um, worked on was a permaculture mixed enterprise farming business over in Bungendore. Oh, really? Maybe four or five years ago, yeah. Ah. (laughs) Would that be uh, Karula? It would be Karula, yeah. (laughs) Well, yes, the sale of Karula was what what set this sort of thing in train, so Ah, there's a common route there. Yeah, yeah. Alrighty, well, uh, Ant Wilson from the Harcourt Farming Co-op, thank you for your uh, good food, creative, plenty regenerative feeding, grower growing, system changing co-op <laughs> rant for us today. That was great. My absolute pleasure. I love ranting about it. Great. <laughs> That's <laughs> Thanks good. Thanks for asking. Good on you.